0: Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. because I was thinking through, how do you embark on this journey? How, how do we go to, uh, to this next phase of our life, which is considerably different than what we have done before? We believe that, that God's directing us to this, but uh, how do we begin to make it happen? And I was reading, I, I subscribed to the St. Louis Business Journal, and I think I found the answer to the issue. I have no idea who this guy is, but he's on the cover of the Business Journal and it says, the man who gives away $50 million a year. I thought, this guy's got to need a church home, right? So I'm going to try and find him and, and bring him to Green Tree, and all our, all our questions will be answered, right? He actually represents a foundation. That's not his. But point being, we're probably all tempted to worry about the money and how it's going to come together. I know that has kept me up some nights. So I want to be honest with you right up front and tell you that uh, my focus has been on how to achieve really what I believe God's calling us to uh, in a way that makes financial sense. And I've been, I've been I, uh, up until a couple months ago, I was really laser focused on that. And I told a group of people last week, the best idea I came up with was we're going to take everybody's name in the church and we're going to put them all in a hat and then you pick out a name. And you look at that name, and you think about how generous that person should be, and you write their number of what they're going to give on the back of that piece of paper, and then you put it back in the hat. Again, focusing on the bigger picture, or how everybody's going to join in, and all of that keeps me from looking at my own heart. All of that obstructs me, not to use last night, dwell on that too much, from the real issue, which is God growing... Tom Ricks as a disciple of Jesus. And so what I said in the video, I meant if if this process does not result in our hearts being more attached to the Lord Jesus, our passion for his kingdom to grow and growing in generosity as his disciples and as we're going to see the word calls us to in 2 Corinthians 8, then I think we miss the boat. So what we're going to do this morning is I'll give you the sermon in just one sentence, what we're going to try to consider out of 2 Corinthians 8, and it's simply this. Disciples must know how God works if we're going to move into his radical generosity. We must know how God works. The reason that is important is because the first verse, which we're going to look at in just a minute, says this, we want you to know, brothers, so there's knowledge, we want you to have some new information, and brothers means Um, if it was southern be y'all it's not just men but want all of you to know over there in the church of corinth whom paul's writing about the grace of god that has been given among the churches of macedonia and then paul goes on to describe what the churches in macedonia did i've always read that passage thinking that paul is telling me about some christians who really did something sacrificial and awesome and and their behavior and their attitude should be emulated now I don't disagree that that certainly is clear in this passage. But Paul doesn't say, I want to write to you about the faith of the Macedonians. Paul doesn't say, I want to give you an example of other Christians to follow. Paul says, you need to know God's grace. If you don't understand God's grace, none of the rest of what I'm going to say or write, in this case, Paul says is going to make any sense to you. He's not applauding the Macedonians outside the context of understanding how the grace of God has impacted their lives? That's the question we need to answer in our lives, not just for the next few weeks, not just for the next couple of years as we, as we seek to, to um, be faithful to the opportunity that God has given us, but in every aspect of our lives should and must, as disciples of Jesus, flow out of God's grace. So we've got we've to get that. We've got to understand that. So that's that's where we're after this morning. Now I'm going to give you two um, main points in the sermon. The first one's going to be about two minutes long. The first point is this. We must know how God works for us or on our behalf would be another way to say that. And I've given you a verse that uh, even a lot of uh, folks that have never walked inside of a church have heard before. It's one of the most famous verses ever. But it talks about how God works on our behalf. For God so loved the world He gave. God is the generous giver. He gave his hand-me-downs. He gave some stuff he didn't need. No, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what Green Tree preaches, friends. We don't preach self-improvement because the Bible doesn't preach self-improvement. We don't preach that I'm okay, and you're okay, and let's just all join hands and walk under the sunset, because the truth is, I'm not okay, and you're not okay either, and if we don't have the grace of God, we will be perished and lost forever. So how God works on our behalf is crucial for us to understand, and Gordon MacDonald in the book which we've given you, it's a quote out of that book, and he says, God does not ask of us anything that he has not first done for us. God made the first move of generosity, and the second, and the third. God has set the supreme example of radical, sacrificial giving for his followers. But I also want you to note just one other thing. McDonald's right, but there's more that could be said. Because Paul says in Romans, while we were still God's enemies, before we were his followers, Christ died for us. Paul didn't, God didn't look down the world and say, now who's kind of getting it right sort of, and I'll save those guys. Jesus will just kind of be the icing on the cake. God looked at the world and he said, everybody's against me. Everybody has rebelled against me. No one has any inclination in their heart towards me at all. I'm going to save my enemies. And he gave his son. We must understand what God, how God works for us. But then for the bulk of our time this morning, what I want us to consider is we must know how God works in us and through us. And to that end, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7, hear the word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Let me stop there for just a second. What Paul is, uh, That to which Paul is referring is the church in Jerusalem was in the midst of a severe famine. That whole part of the near Middle East uh, had been in a drought for years. And what Paul is doing is collecting money to go allow those folks to buy some food and, and to sustain them during this crisis. So when he talks about the relief of the saints, he's talking about the church back in Jerusalem. Verse 5, and this, this this giving, this, this desire, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, who is one of their fellow pastors, that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we study this passage of scripture, that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, my heart needs to grow in your generosity. Father, my, uh, my discipleship needs to deepen in all areas and certainly in the area of generosity. Father, this isn't, or I should say, we could be tempted to make it about a building, but that would be a mistake. That's simply a means to an end. It's an opportunity for us to do, to do greater ministry. But Lord Jesus, this is about my heart, our hearts, looking more like our Father's. And I pray that you would teach us that in this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you give us open hearts and minds to hear what your word says. This is a challenging subject for us. You have, you have given us so much, and we're tempted to uh, look at uh, wealth and, and, and finances in a, in a different way than uh, perhaps a different part of the body of Christ does in different parts of the world. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would teach us pray that you wouldn't let me stand in the way of what folks should know this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would forgive me my sins, that you would come and that you would teach us your word. We pray through your name. Amen. Well, how are we going to know how God works in and through us? That's really what we want to to tackle this morning. I want to give you four observations about this text that I think gives us a, a clear understanding. The first one is this. We must know that God challenges our trust. By that I mean our trust in him. So God is, wants to teach us to trust in him. We call that faith. If you trust in God, you have faith in God. God wants your faith, if you are a disciple of Jesus, to go deeper than it is today. God wants my faith to go deeper than it is today. How does he do that? He puts challenges that call us to trust him more in our pathway in order that we would do so. So in the first three verses, Paul says, "...we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord." There are times when God places hardship in our pathway because he wants us to learn to trust in him. The Macedonians were not a wealthy church, anything but that. The Corinthians were wealthy. The Corinthians lived in a town that was a hub of import-export business, and kind of the the whole world in the near Middle East and in the Roman Empire kind of went through Corinth. Uh, There was a lot of wealth in Corinth, but not in Macedonia. Macedonia folks were just scraping by. And, and there, 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 are, there are times when we uh, run up against these challenges and we go, can we really trust God? And I'm quite certain there are people at Green Tree that are in those kinds of circumstances and say, boy, I'm glad we're doing this, or I think I'm really for this, but I just don't know how I can give. I, I don't know how I can be a part of this. And we're, and we're tempted to look at our circumstances instead of saying, God, I want you to give me that abundant joy in my life that allows me to trust you more deeply. But it's not just through hardship that we are tempted to not trust God. God also, and I'm going to take us to a different passage, there there are times when just the opposite is true. So I'm going to take you to uh, another letter that Paul wrote, and he's writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's giving him some instructions on how to be a pastor. And this is his first letter to Timothy. It's the verse six, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Just as I know, there, there, there have got to be folks at Green Tree that um, are in financial challenging times right now, and their temptation is to kind of back off and say, yeah, I don't know that I can help. The other side is just as true. By the rest of the world's standards, almost all of us are extraordinarily wealthy when you look at the, the world as a whole. And our temptation may be to say, you know, I'm just not so sure I, I can trust God enough to part with that for which I have worked all of my life. The, the savings account that I have, the retirement account I've built up, the, the money that I've I, I've socked away for a rainy day, I don't know that I can trust God with that because that's that's kind of my nest egg. That's my security. That's where I place my faith. Exact. God says exactly. And child, that's why we we got to (laughs) talk because I'm giving you the opportunity to go deeper in your faith, not in yourself, not in your ability to to earn a lot of money, not, not in the success you've had, but to trust me and to follow me into radical generosity. Our Father challenges every one of us to have a singular focus on Him and on His will. Will we believe Him in every circumstance? Will I believe God? In every circumstance? More specifically, will I believe God? Will you believe God in this specific circumstance and the opportunity that's before us? There are a lot of areas in our lives where we see this every day. You may have a a person in your life that you need to forgive. And that's really hard because they really hurt you. And you say, you know what, Lord, you tell me to forgive, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live in faith and I'm going to forgive this person. Some of us may have uh, the opportunity from time to time where an enemy has hurt us and God calls us to love our enemies. And when I say, God, that's the absolute last thing I want to do, but because I know that, that you tell me if I trust in you, um, I, I, can, I can follow you and my life will be different, I'm going to go ahead and forgive this enemy. There are times when lying would be easier than telling the truth. You can run down the list all day long. Generosity is part of those questions. God, am I, am I trusting you with the opportunity to be a disciple? that is generous, as my Father has been generous to me. We must know that God will challenge our trust. Secondly, we must know that God is a God who creates passion. Look at verses 2 through 4. In the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Look at the the way this flows from affliction to joy, from poverty to generosity. There's a passion here in in the Macedonian churches that will not be denied. Paul says they ended up begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And that verse caught me up short. I ended up kind of sitting in that verse for a long time this week, and I still don't have an application for you for it for me, but let me tell you what I've been wrestling with. It seems to me that as Paul and Titus and all his little band of, of, of guys were going around and preaching in the Macedonian churches, they were mentioning what was going on in Jerusalem and how they needed to, you know, they needed to, to seek relief for those folks. If that's the case, why did they have to beg Paul for the opportunity to give? It would seem that maybe Paul said, man, they're really hurting, but I kind of see you guys are too, and, and I don't want to expect too much out of you. And the preacher actually got in the way of people having generous hearts. And I think sometimes I'm guilty of getting in the way of people having generous hearts. So I don't exactly know how to apply that. I don't think the application is I'm going to come knock on your door and say, here, give me a number. I want you to be generous. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you, but I, I've got to work through that. Because as well-meaning as Paul was, and clearly a phenomenal apostle and church planter, it seems like maybe their passion was greater than his in that particular moment. How do I allow God's passion not only to flow in me and through me, but also not let it stand in the way of the passion that he's creating in your life? I found out something really fascinating this week. Um, There was a very wealthy African-American businessman in Um, Birmingham, Alabama, that when Martin Luther King was was, uh, put in jail there, where he wrote his letters from a Birmingham uh, jail, uh, there was a a very wealthy businessman there who bailed Martin Luther King out of jail. But it wasn't the first time Dr. King had been placed in jail. In fact, during his career in the civil rights movement, he was imprisoned over 30, I think it was 34 times that he actually ended up in jail. The first time he was in prison, and the second time he was thrown in jail, and actually like the first five, you know who bailed him out of jail? Billy Graham. I'd never heard that in my life. And I went and read about it, and very few people know that fact because Dr. Graham didn't want anybody else to know, not because he was worried about the black white thing, but he didn't want to come off as, you know, being this kind of self righteous person. So he, but he made sure that Martin Luther King was able to continue his ministry. And when some of his friends asked him, he's like, How, how can I not help a fellow Christian who's seeking to write? Such a, a terrible injustice in my own society. There's a passion on the part of Billy Graham, not just to preach the word of God at all his revivals, but to make an impact for the kingdom of God in ways that he could, that maybe other people never even found out about. Is God creating that kind of passion in your life, in my life for his kingdom? Thirdly, we must know not only that God will challenge our trust and that God creates passion, we also must understand that God establishes our priorities. Look at verses four and five begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. If you don't hear anything else in this sermon this morning, I hope you hear some other things, but if you don't hear anything else, hear this. As you think about your part at Green Tree Community Church for the next several years in every area of ministry, not just in giving, but that's part of it, give yourself to the Lord. Willingly, joyfully submit to his lordship in your life. Put your priorities under his priorities. Allow him to direct your footsteps. I love the part of our mission statement that says, we will serve him in joyful obedience. Not because we're compelled out of obligation, not because we feel shamed and guilty if we don't do the right Christian thing, but rather because we know how much our God has loved us and we know that his priorities are to save this broken world and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into lives that have yet to hear this good news, and he's going to use us to do that, why wouldn't we submit to his priorities? Brothers and sisters, this little prayer thing we've got, I just saw we've got somebody made a necklace out of it, should remind me to pray for the generous heart of God and to submit to his leading and where he wants to take me in that. I don't travel very much, but occasionally, maybe about eight times a year I travel, and I, and I pretty much fly southwest when I travel, and um, I'm the kind of traveler that likes to get on the plane and get the book and do this and do all the body language that says to anybody around me, I don't want to speak to you. <laughs> I'm off right now, and last week, I was at a meeting out in Denver with some church planting folks around, from around the country. We were working on some church planting stuff. I'm flying home. I get on the plane, got my book. Get my, get my body language going exactly how it should so people leave me alone. And I'm actually being the very front, and these two gals come in and sit down, and they've got you know, kind of their dinners, and they're eating their dinners, and I'm reading my book, and I'm leaving them alone, and they're busy chatting with each other. And about halfway through the flight, you know, the person comes around and says, would you like something to drink, or would you like some snacks? Well, I have this drink coupon in my pocket for, for a glass of wine or a beer, and I don't want anything to drink. So I'm like, well, you know, don't be stingy, don't be a jerk, don't let it go to waste. So I lean over and say, would either of you care for this? for this drink coupon and they kind of look at each other and, and they're like well yeah sure so the gal sitting closest to the window ends up taking it she goes I'll get a glass of wine and now I feel bad because the gal said now she doesn't have anything I said well actually I have like six of these things in my wallet and I don't know why Southwest keeps sending them to me it worries me that an airline would send drink coupons to the people that fly with them the most that I mean are they trying to not you think about who's piloting this plane I don't know but I said, I've actually got some more if you like, but she goes, no, that's okay. Um, she goes, you must travel a lot. I said, well, I don't travel that much, but this last year, I've done a few trips. Well, what do you do? Really? <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> um, well, I- I'm a pastor. I also do some coaching and some help with people that want to start new churches, and my denomination, we call it church planting. I'm actually coming back from meeting with some people that want to start churches. That's fascinating. Why would you want to start new churches? You know, and this one is, you know, they're not believers, so it's like, okay. So, I, you know, we start talking a little bit about, you know, going to places where maybe there aren't any churches in that community. And, and finally, the one guy looks at me, and she goes, why would you want to be a pastor? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, I want to be a pastor because I'm dumbfounded at how much God would love a guy like me, and I want everybody to know that. Okay, Lord, I'm submitting my priorities to you. And that's something as clearly as go and make disciples. I got it. I get on the plane not wanting to talk to anybody, and God says, too bad, because I have two people that don't know Jesus. Why on earth do you think I, I put you on the plane in the first place? I'm a little thick-headed, but I got it. I don't know where their spiritual journey is going to go from here, but I know at least one person told them that Jesus loved them. Are we willing to joyfully let God establish the priorities for every area of our life, including our generosity. My fourth observation in this text is simply this. We must know that God calls us to excellence. Look at verses six and seven. Accordingly, we urge Titus, their, you know, their buddy, that he, uh, as he had started with you, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Titus had also gone to the church in Corinth. He had been there before and he said to him the same message Hey, the folks in Jerusalem are really suffering. And the folks in Corinth said, Okay, good to know. When you circle back around here in a few months, We'll have the gift ready for you. We'll do some special, you know, I don't know if they're doing service projects or bake sales or whatever, but we'll collect a bunch of money and we'll have it ready for you. So Titus, we just want him to complete that. He's coming by to pick up what you've promised, right? But as you excel, there's, the, there's that root of excellence. As you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Not perfectionism. And not a works-based salvation, but a life overflowing with the character of our Father. That's what Paul means by excellence. He's not saying, now you got to work really hard, and if you ever make a mistake, God's not going to love you anymore. No, it's about grace. But excel in these things. Allow God's character, his spirit, his word to control you in these things. What, what would you think if Green Tree stopped mentioning the word faith? <laughs> if we stopped excelling in calling people to grow in their faith, what would you think if, if in speech we just said, you know what, we don't care how we treat each other. Feel free to gossip and slander and be rude to each other. You know, don't worry about that. It's not that big of a deal. How would you feel if we said, you don't really need to know about Jesus? If we just said, you know, knowledge of the Bible, it really isn't that important, okay? What about earnestness? What if we said, you know what, let's just all be apathetic, Let's just all not care. It'll be so much easier and so much happier. My guess is if I did those kinds of things and preached those kinds of sermon, I wouldn't be standing up here very long, nor should I. It's clear to us in the Christian community to say, you want to be a disciple of Jesus, we want you to grow in your faith. And everybody goes, yeah, I get it. We want you to grow in your speech so that your words honor God. Not just preacher when you're standing up in front of everybody, but when you're at home with your family. Or you're in the middle of traffic and you're mad at somebody just cut you off. Will your speech glorify God then? What about your knowledge? Can you know too much of the Bible? You see where I'm going with this. Paul says you want to excel in all these things. And he said, by the way, let me let you in on a little secret. You also excel in our love for you. Our love for you is overflowing. You ever had somebody just give you a hug for the sake of giving you a hug? Or somebody just, you know, they come up and they grab you and they hug you. And you're like, what's that for? You know, did I, did I do something? Good? Did I win something I, did? I didn't know? And they're like, no. Just love you. Just want to let you know that. Just, just want to give you a little encouragement. Paul's saying, we excel in our love for you. Corinthians, do you, you get that? We love you passionately in Christ. You stand in God's grace and you stand in our good grace as well. Therefore, we want what's best for you. We want what is best for you, which includes that you excel in this act of grace also how can I call myself a disciple of Jesus and not strive for a life that is reflected in generosity that really reflects the character of my Father? See, at the beginning we said it's important that we know how God works in us and through us, but I want to boil that down just a little bit more. And I want us to just kind of put it in this term. Knowing God moves me, moves us to radical generosity. If I know God, if I spend time with Him, If I excel in faith, if I excel in knowledge, if I spend time with the Lord and he rubs off on me, it's going to change my heart of generosity so that I can excel in that act of grace as well. Would we be willing to pray as a congregation that God would move us into radical, lives of radical generosity because that's simply a reflection of his nature? Will you pray with me?